0: good to be with you today. Uh, We've been in our series the last couple weeks, Those That Religion Rejected. This series uh, has been one that stood out to me. I don't remember. It was probably back in November or something when Stephen and I first kind of began to formulate um, this sermon series. Um, We get together periodically to plan our sermons out um, to to pray to seek the Lord to say what is it that we need to hear um, you might think uh, or, or you might be under the impression that um, preachers say what do they need to hear but um, our prayer is what do we need to hear um, what's the word that God has for us all of us um, it's it's a weird position because um, The way we do this is I stand in front and you look at me um, as if it's me giving you direction or instruction. But the truth of the matter is the instruction is for all of us, all the time. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all figured out. And the Lord works in and through all of us so that we can be united together. And so... This series, Those at Religion Rejected, but you know, I just I think of that word rejected. And I think of, of what comes to mind for me when I think of that. You know, I think um, maybe for some of us, there's a couple different ideas that come to mind. Um, perhaps you, you go back to um, those formative high school years and you're thinking about that prom date that you want to ask out. Yeah. And, uh, and see, for me, the fear of rejection kept me from ever even attempting to talk to a girl that I liked. I, I wasn't even going to go there. Um, the fear of rejection kept me away. But, but the rejections that I felt more frequently um, in, my, in my dating life was the rejections on the basketball court. Um, I know you thought I was going to go with a superhero reference. Not today. I got that out of my quotas. My quotas full for the day. No superhero references. Um, we'll see how the spirit leads. You never know. Uh, but on the basketball court, I didn't play um, for a team. Um, we just played on my driveway. Um, we had a hoop, and a couple neighbor kids would come over, and me and my brother, we'd play basketball. And um, me often being the youngest also meant I was the shortest, um, which meant that it was hard to make shots over my two-year-old, two years older brother. Um, and so I felt... Rejections a lot. And you know what I'm talking about if you're a, a basketball fan, when you go up for the shot and you think it's gonna sink right in and a guy comes out of nowhere and just smashes the ball right out of your hand. Something kinda like that. <laughs> or, or or maybe it's a little bit more full momentum and it's something more like this one. Boom. Just <laughs> just destroying it. He sees the shot, he's got an opportunity, the basket's clear for him, he's gonna get those points and just smashed right out of his hands. Um, that's what I think of when I think of rejection. And it's just going to keep looping. We can watch this all day long. <laughs> that's what I think of when I think of rejection. Um, I, I think of that, that phrase from those NBA commentators, rejected, just that excitement in it, because you're, you're pitting one against the other. You're cheering for one team and you hope the other team doesn't make the basket. You're hoping your team can stop them somehow, and so we're, we're craving the rejection. We want the rejection to happen if it's not our team. But the idea, the, the anticipation, the buildup is that it's an us versus them. In order for a rejection to have any play, it's got to be us versus them. Otherwise, we don't care. If you're not invested in either of these teams, what difference does it make whether he makes the basket or not? If you don't care what the outcome is, what difference does it make if the ball swatted out of his hand? It doesn't matter. But that anticipation, that, that vying for one side over the other side, then boils over into the aftermath of this. I think of uh, the famous NBA player, Dikemi Mutombo, and he always had his famous finger wag. <laughs> and he's going, not in my house. When he'd swat that ball away, he'd say, not in my house, and he'd wag his finger at you. <laughs> and it's that that buildup of an us versus them. Where you're in or you're out. You're on my team or you're on their team. And Jesus knew the sting of that rejection. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. That Jesus, Jesus understood from the human vantage point, what it felt like to not be on the team but to be on that team but jesus presented something that stood in opposition to this whole game of us versus them while jesus understands the rejection and if you're feeling rejected or have felt rejected by religion he gets it he understands But Jesus really said, there's something bigger here at stake than just not being rejected. You need to be a part. And it got me thinking, religion might have cast you out, but there's still space for you in the kingdom of God. Religion might have had, a long time ago, said, I have nothing more to do with you. But the kingdom of God says, you're on our team. And they're not against us. The kingdom of God says, we're together in this. And so this whole dichotomy of rejection, Jesus kind of stands against it. And those we think are in are sometimes out because of their own choices, but Jesus still wants them to be in, and Jesus still has an opportunity for them to be in, and that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today um, as we unfold and and look at some scriptures, um, specifically um, Luke chapter 16 and Luke chapter 19. A couple different stories there. Uh, Most of it we'll spend in Luke 16, but For some of you, you've, you've literally felt that push away from religion. And, and I remember I was sharing this uh, a couple weeks ago um, with Stephen and, and someone else that um, probably over a decade ago, um, there was a, a guy who came out and made a video about how he's rejected religion um, in favor of a relationship with Jesus. He said, I don't want anything more to do with religion because religion creates systems that, that legalize and, and punish people and make people feel bad, um, but I just want Jesus in my, in my life. Um, and, and you might be saying yes, or you might be saying no to that, um, that idea. And, but what I saw, what I witnessed as a result of that in, in my formative almost end of high school years, moving into college years, was a lot of my friends latching on to that message rejecting everything that there was about Christianity as a result of it. Saying, I just need a relationship with Jesus. I don't need anybody else to walk with me in that. To inform that relationship. I don't need a community to help me in that relationship. I just need me and Jesus and we're good over here in a little corner living the hermit life while the rest of the world goes to who knows where. Because I got Jesus. I'm good. But that's not Jesus' model at all. Um, and Jesus actually says, "We don't need to be afraid of religion." And I know that that might be weird, right? This is the sermon series we're doing, those that religion rejected, right? Religion bad, right? Jesus says, "We don't need to be afraid of religion. Jesus, in fact, was a religious per- person. Jesus, by birth, was a Jew. By faith was a Jew. And he did Jewish things, religious things, to fulfill his Jewish faith. And those things helped form him and shape him and turn him into the man that he needed to be. Not only to fulfill the scriptures, but in order to live a righteous life. How do you think Jesus would have been able to combat Satan's temptation in the wilderness if Jesus didn't know scriptures. Luke 4 tells the story of Jesus in the wilderness right after his baptism, Satan coming to him and tempting him to do anything and everything he can to stop where Jesus is going. Because Satan knows where Jesus is going. He's going to the cross, he's going to die, he's going to rise again. Satan knows this is the end game for me. Superhero reference there. He knows it's the end. And so Satan's doing everything he can to stop it, and every time when Jesus responds to him, Jesus responds with Scripture that he learned from his religious education. As a good Jewish boy, he went to synagogue, and he learned the Scriptures. He learned what it said. He learned what it meant for his life. Jesus wasn't afraid of religion. Jesus embraced it, but moved it to a whole other place where people had twisted it and turned it into something else that it wasn't intended to be. Jesus unleashed it into what it was supposed to be, true religion, Christian faith. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read uh, a few verses here for me. You can follow along in your Bibles, and we don't have the whole thing up on the screen, but Um, We'll come back to it here. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19 and going all the way to verse 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Written, recorded for us. Written, recorded a long time ago, but you've purposed it, you've intended it to be carried on and applied to our lives today. And so may we do that this morning, Father. May we listen to your words. May we hear what you have to say. And may we apply it to our lives so that we can be more like you tomorrow than we are today. We ask this all in your son's holy name. Amen. Purple was the color of royalty. Fine linen, color of royalty. It says the rich man was dressed in purple and fine li- linen and lived in luxury every day. The other thing that you have to take into consideration here is, is the interpretation of, of what this meant. This was a story that Jesus told. Okay? And uh, the interpretation, the understanding that the audience would have been having from these two characters. So we've got the rich man and we've got the beggar. The rich man was rich because he was blessed by God, God chose to give him wealth. The poor man was poor because either he or somebody in his family line sinned against God, and now that's why he is poor and he's begging because he's got a disease. And that was often how the, the people of the day would interpret people's social status. If you were rich, you were blessed. If you were sick, you were cursed. Now, we know today that obviously that's not really the case. We understand. We're, we're more enlightened than they were back then. We, we understand God a lot better than they did back then, right? Um, but there's still an element here where we do we 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 tend to want to figure out a person based on their position in life and figure out their relationship with God based on their position in life and and what we're doing is we're trying to figure out are they on my team or are they on somebody else's team Uh, 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 do we have something in common? Are there similarities here where, where I can connect with them in some way, or are they on somebody else's team? I want to know what kind of level of commitment I need to have with this person, right? I need to know what kind of, how much do I care about them? How much should I care about them? So we have the rich man, and then we have the beggar, Lazarus. It says he was covered in sores and he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the scraps of food. He didn't care. He was so hungry. He was in so much agony. And it says that he laid at the gate every day. Which meant the rich man walked by him every day. Saw him suffering in pain every day. And so we get this story, they fast forward basically through the lives and and to the, the end of their lives, they both died, and we see one's in heaven with Abraham, and one's in hell suffering. And when Jesus brings Abraham into the story, the Jewish audience once again is kind of captivated by this because for them, Abraham speaking meant something. Like, they still didn't have this whole Jesus guy figured out yet. But Abraham, because of their religious faith, they knew they could trust him. If Abraham said it, it must be true. Because Abraham and God were like this. If not for Abraham, we wouldn't even be here today because we're all descendants of Abraham. That's what the Jewish people were rationalizing. And so if Abraham's saying it, it must be true. It's like Jesus was bringing the most well-respected grandparent into the story, to speak some truth in a way that people would listen. The story emphasizes a a role reversal where the rich man had everything on earth and now nothing in the afterlife. And the poor man Lazarus had nothing in life, and now he's got everything in the afterlife. And we celebrate that, right? The faithfulness of those who who have suffered a long time, and and God gives them rich blessings in the afterlife. We celebrate that because we love a, a, a happy ending like that. And we love to say, you could have done something. Why didn't you do something? You deserve to be punished. How dare you miss the opportunity to serve, to love, to have compassion? Jesus isn't painting an enemy here. He's not painting an us versus them. He's not painting a a chance to say, oh, I I connect with Lazarus. Um, He's also not saying, hey, watch out, you're going to hell. That's not what Jesus is saying here. This isn't a get out of hell story. This story is about what you're doing with your life. And who you're using or who you're bringing in and who you're rejecting. A little bit further down the story, verse 25: Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. We're separated. We've created a separation. God didn't impose a separation. We created the separation. We created an us versus them. We created an in or out. And the Jewish people in that time, in the first century especially, would have understood that, that, that people were judged by these statuses. But what's really interesting is at the end of the story, the last couple of verses there, he says, no, Father Abraham. This is the rich man talking back to Abraham. If someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent, he, longing for his brothers to be saved, longing for his brothers to not make the same mistake that he made. He says, what we need is a big show. Well, a, 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 big, a big thing. Like, if somebody from the dead comes back, then they're going to be like, oh, whoa, this is, this is abnormal, this is out of usual, this is... Not, now I, I get it because something miraculous happened, something huge happened. And Abraham's response in the story is, is pretty simple. It says they've got Moses and the prophets. In other words, this has already been explained numerous times. Your life, your faith, the questions you're having, the, the fears, the doubts, they can all come to. We just sang about that. They've been responded to God has spoken to them. He's spoken against them. And he's told you who you are. He says, Moses and the prophets, they have. But if they're not convinced by Moses and the prophets, I just just love the last part here. Even if someone rises from the dead, they won't be convinced. You think that maybe Jesus was, was fast forwarding a little bit in his head? thinking about his own death and resurrection. Perhaps Jesus was contemplating that and saying, if, if they're not convinced by the truth that's already been explained, that's there for them, that's not going to convince anybody. That's a big show, and it's exciting, and we celebrate that because it does mean something. Jesus' death and resurrection means everything. It changes everything about our lives. But it's not going to convince somebody who's denying everything that God has already said. If the whole of Israel's scriptures, if the whole of, of religion, true religion, not misguided, not manipulated religion, but true religion, has not convinced... Will someone from coming back from the dead convince somebody? So if the rich man's brothers are ignoring all of the scriptures, they'll probably also ignore the one who's risen from the dead. Let's skip forward to uh, Acts or I'm sorry, Luke chapter nineteen um, to another story. Another story about a rich man whose story ended up a little bit differently. Jesus encountered this one. This isn't a story he's just telling. Jesus walked with him. He talked with him. He ate with him. Um, and perhaps it'll be another familiar story for some of you, um, but maybe new for others. Oops, going wrong way there. See, it's not just you, Stephen, it's me too. Yeah, you're welcome. Just trying to make you feel better. Luke chapter 19, starting verse 1 through verse 9. Read about the man Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, I said that weird, since Jesus was coming that way, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to, his house, to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Interesting story. I love the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which also basically meant he was a legal crook. His job allowed him to steal from people, uh, and he did. doesn't mean all tax collectors were thieves. They were commonly thought to be thieves among the people. Some of us commonly think that today as well. But it doesn't mean all tax collectors were thieves, but Zacchaeus was. He admits it. He said, whoever I wronged, I'll pay back. Zacchaeus stole money and he knew it. He was a thief. And the rich man from Luke 16 could have certainly been Zacchaeus. Wealthy man, living with fine linen and, and enjoying all that life has to offer. And as Zacchaeus walks into his gate every day, it's possible that there was a man who sat and begged in front of his gate who was sick, who was in need of a little bit of assistance. And it's possible that Zacchaeus could have walked by him every single day, just like the rich man did in the first story, in Luke 16. It's completely plausible um, that Zacchaeus could find himself in the same position as the rich man in the story before. Yet we see in the story of Zacchaeus that unlike the rich man, he would not have been associated with the religious elite because the tax collectors weren't, re- weren't allowed to be part of the religious elite. He was wealthy, but they kind of just hung out ar- with themselves um, because nobody really liked him all that much. Tax collectors were, were Jewish often, and they would work for the Roman government. And so they weren't well-liked amongst their community. Um, And Zacchaeus was one of them. Looking at verse 5, says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What a peculiar thing to say. Anybody ever uh, meet somebody for the first time and invite yourself to their house? Nobody ever done that in here? Jesus has. What a peculiar thing to do. I'm going to your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. As soon as Jesus welcomed himself into Zacchaeus's house, Jesus took the brunt of their rejection. As soon as Jesus invited himself to the place where sinners were, Jesus took upon himself all the rejection and turned the attention away from Zacchaeus. Now it's about Jesus. How dare he go to be with a sinner while Zacchaeus is allowed to be free? Jesus steps into the rejection. Jesus doesn't create an us versus them. He he owns the rejection. He takes the rejection that he didn't need to take But he takes us so that we can be a part. He takes us so that we're not rejected. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What's so interesting about this is, is Zacchaeus hasn't done this yet? He said he's going to do it. He's maybe committed to it. Maybe he's got true heart intention to do this. But so far, Zacchaeus hasn't done anything but welcome Jesus. And Jesus' response is today's salvation has come to this house. Because Jesus brought him on the team. Jesus wanted him to be a part of it. Jesus embraced the man who was on the outs with religion, Zacchaeus, Allowed for Zacchaeus to be able to move towards Jesus in a way that he wasn't allowed to before. Even in the story, it says there was such a crowd that Zacchaeus couldn't even see Jesus because he was too short. So he resorted to climbing up in a tree. He's like, Zacchaeus wasn't only not allowed to by society standards, but he just, he literally couldn't get to Jesus. when Jesus cuts through it, takes the brunt of the rejection, deflects it off of Zacchaeus, and allows Zacchaeus that access that he never was able to have before. Zacchaeus' wealth didn't secure him a place in heaven, nor did it exclude him. It wasn't because Zacchaeus was wealthy that he was given a spot in heaven and it wasn't because he was wealthy and he had to give away his wealth that Jesus allowed him then to be a part of heaven. It was this this exclusion idea, the rejection. Zacchaeus had felt probably his whole adult life that he could do kind of what he wanted to do. As a tax collector. And if nobody was going to stop him, then he was just going to continue doing what he was wanted to do. Why feel bad about it? Like, this is the way the world works, right? Like, we, we need tax collectors. Everybody knows how this works, everybody understands the system. So, Zacchaeus, why change anything? Why live a different kind of way when this way seems to be working pretty well? But it wasn't Zacchaeus's wealth that interested or disinterested disinter- Jesus. It was his willingness to accept him, to welcome Jesus into his house. Even though the religious people said that Zacchaeus was excluded, jesus speaking on behalf of true religion of true faith said no he is accepted jesus understands rejection we've used this picture i think all three sermons so far in the series and i think that there's something powerful about this image jesus standing trial for crimes he didn't commit at least not the way that they were painting them to be committed. Meanwhile, a man stood off to his side who deserved everything that was going to come his way. And we don't often talk about this, but what happened to Barabbas after this story? Where did Barabbas go? What did he do? We don't really know. I mean, we can... Play guessing games and try to figure out, and and we'd all love a happy ending, right? Oh, Barabbas found Jesus and accepted him and turned his whole life around. Maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. But the image there is of Jesus taking the focus of rejection away from Barabbas and putting it on himself. Even to the man who was out. Nobody considered Barabbas sin. Nobody considered Barabbas part of a a religious community. Or part of the faith community. Probably nobody considered him even a, a decent person. But yet Jesus takes all of that. He takes all the hate, all the rejection, all the rage... And allows Barabbas this moment. I've I got to think that, and this is kind of a creepy picture of Barabbas, if you get real up close to his face. I mean, he looks creepy. Um, but i got to think that Barabbas is kind of just sitting there dumbfounded. Like, if he could have moved, he was, he'd be going like, what is going on? What? I, I, I don't understand. Like, it's like I'm not even here. I'm invisible up here. Everybody is focused on this Jesus guy and they don't even care that I'm here. And it gave Barabbas a moment of freedom that he hadn't earned, maybe he didn't deserve, but Jesus gave it to him anyway. Uh, the other day, um, and I don't know if you know who this is at all, some of you maybe do, but some of you probably don't. Um, I don't know her personally. Um, her name is Rachel Held Evans. Um, she was a speaker, um, author of Christian books and blogs and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, she had kind of garnered herself a, a little controversy um, in the last decade or so um, as her faith journey had transitioned and developed, and and she said some things that made people scratch their heads a little bit and made people think, and it was kind of outside the box sometimes. And um, She passed away the other day at 37 years old um, due to a complication to antibiotics that she had taken um, for an illness, kind of -of run-of-the-mill kind of stuff. Um, She she developed an allergic reaction to the medicine, um, and she just never got better. Um, She was put into a medically-induced coma, and she couldn't come out of it. Um, So she passed away at 37 years old, two or three kids at home and a husband. And and, and I I put her up um, to say that her story is one of of somebody who felt rejected by religion. Um, And she had to to scrape and claw her way to, to keep her relationship with Jesus as a result of it. She was able to do that. And although I I, I don't believe every single thing that she said and um, I don't agree with every single thing that she said and I don't think there's anybody I've ever agreed with everything that they've ever said, Um, there's plenty of stuff that I would disagree with her about. Um, The element of this rejection story where she felt like for a long, long time she wasn't allowed to be a Christian anymore. She wasn't allowed a place at the table. And she had to find her way, and and through the grace of God, she found her way, and and through her speaking and and stuff, she was able to be a voice for others who had started to wander from the faith. Felt like they too didn't have a place at the table, and, and really... Uh, the whole reason I bring this up is because is of her story and, and something that I do agree with what she said. Um, and that's this quote right here out of her book, Searching for Sunday. Said, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table. Not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry. Because they said yes. And there's always room for more. Jesus wasn't scared of religion. But Jesus didn't use it as a tool to reject or remove either. He used it as a way to embrace, to offer love and forgiveness, to point people to truth through Moses and the prophets we heard about in our story. I believe that's true about God's kingdom. I don't know how you feel about the term outcast or oddball. Maybe you don't feel like an outcast or an oddball, but God's diversity in creation creates all of us with this little inkling of, "I'm kind of different from other other people." Maybe somewhere deep down inside, you feel that sense of, "Like I, I'm not really like them. Um, I'm different." because we're all different. God made us all different on purpose because he's that cool. He's that awesome to make us all different, but to make us all able to come together at the table. God's kingdom is like a bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table. Not because they're rich, not because they earned it, not because they bought their place there, not because they did X, Y, Z, but because they are simply hungry. Because they said yes, like Zacchaeus said yes. And there is always, 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 always room for more at the table. Jesus, Jesus never wanted to cast us out. Jesus never takes the chair away from the table. He puts another chair up to the table. It's not about us versus them. It's about your response to Jesus. What are you willing to do for Jesus in response to Jesus? And maybe, just maybe, somewhere along the way, you will have an opportunity or you have an opportunity to bring up another chair to that table, to bring somebody else to that table who's felt the sting of rejection, who's felt like they don't belong at that table. But you say, hey, if I'm allowed to sit at that table, anybody's allowed to sit at that table. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Jesus Christ that lives and and flows through our veins. We sang about that this morning. It's so good. Breath in our lungs and the, the blood that flows through our veins. Jesus changes everything. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us not to live into those words of rejection those words that that pit us against others, those words that say you're in or you're out. God, may we be people that look for those who are rejected, that look for those who are hurt, that look for those who have found every reason in the book not to have faith, And may we bring a chair up for them. May we welcome them to the table. The fact of the matter is, God, that we don't get to be gatekeepers to the kingdom of God. We get to be arrows, directions, pointers, indicators, lights salt all that kind of biblical stuff but we don't get to be gatekeepers we don't get to keep people out so god this week i pray and i ask that you help us to bring people into the table to open the doors wide open to live in the hurt and the pain and the rejection And have conversations about you and your love and your grace and your mercy. We need more of that in this world. And we ask that you help us to be that in Wapakoneta and Bakins and Shawnee and Lima, wherever. Help us to be that. We ask this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.